Hey, this is Earl the Troll Puritan. You listen to Verbal Shenanigans. But our shenanigans are cheeky and fun. Yeah, I mean, his shenanigans are cruel and tragic. Which makes them not shenanigans at all, really. Evil shenanigans. I swear to God, I'll pistol whip the next guy that says shenanigans. Hello, everybody. Welcome on back to the Verbal Shenanigans Podcast. Mike, it is the the last episode of the year. Also, our last episode. So, you know what? No, you're lazy. Let's we'll just keep recording. I want three more this year. We we, we had those open winks. I'm not going to take a substandard year. Okay. No, no, no. I don't know if you heard what I said. This is the last episode. This is it. This is the, the swan song. It's, yeah, we, we, we need a pure 52, or as we did in the 2020s, we need a solid 104. No, no, no. This is the end of the podcast, is what I'm saying. Oh, oh, we're going our separate ways. Yes, oh, this, is, this is it. I, I was worried we were having an argument, but I feel better. <laughs> oh, no, we'd have no argument at all. We'd just be like, no, no, no. no. All right, see you, man. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> it's been real. No, no. Contractually, we're we're signed for another four hundred and eighteen episodes. So we got a couple. We really years. should have signed that, read that contract when we signed it. Yeah, I gotta the, be honest. The uh, the no pay. Uh, yeah, spend t- time away from your family. Um, you know, what it was they put our contract behind all that. Here's what's going to happen with your iPhone updates. So <laughs> we just said, yeah, I agree. Little did we know. We're still doing this show. See, I'm ho- I'm hoping that like maybe Steve Cohen's around the corner, you know, like and he's he's signing anybody for whatever. Maybe he just throws a a three year thirty six million dollar deal at us. Yeah, yeah, I do as much as Bobby Bonilla nowadays, so why not? Yeah, I mean Cohen at this point is just you know if you if you can hold a baseball bat, you, you know he'll take a look at you. He'll take a look at you. He'll just say he just wants to win. So maybe we could be the uh, the Mets broadcast going forward. Who knows? Ooh. No. Yeah. But yeah. How was your Christmas, buddy? Um it was uh it's eventful. The Christmas itself for the family was good and everything, but um yeah, I guess we'll just get right into it. Sure. Uh uh over the week and all um, we, down here in Georgia we were facing the same kind of cold like a lot, not as bad as most of the world out there with the snow and the blizzard or whatever, but we were in like single digits and yeah, minus wind chill. And since you've been down there, how like how many like super cold fronts have you got like that? I mean, we're always good for like a couple days. I would say most winters they stay in like low fifties, forties. You'll we'll get the. And when the sun goes down, then you're talking 30s, 20s, but single digits, it's kind of rare. Because I just assume Georgians don't have coats. Funny thing you say, (laughs) when my wife was moving down here, she was bragging to her friends, I don't need this coat anymore. And she told me that. (laughs) I'm like, and I came down here in March. I'm like, babe, it's like 36 today. And she's like, but. But we're by Florida. I figure we'd have palm trees. I'm like, no, the, yeah, Florida's 
four hours away. Uh, that <laughs> what happens in Florida does not count for where we're living at. Right <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, but th- I will say, like, I was at the dog park today. It was like forty some odd degrees, and I'm there with just my sweatshirt on while I see regular Georgians in like double coats. Like, how do you stand this? And yeah. It's like it, it, it's been there, done that. Right. What kind of but um, yeah, during the uh, process, uh, we had some neighbors come over. They need some tools to, um, you know, uh, shear some uh, shrubs or whatever uh, branches over their fireplace. And w- I was prepping the house to make sure, like, no pipes froze or whatever. Um, and I'm sad to say that uh, during the process, my uh, her little kitty, Dubba, Stubby, at some point went outside, and we can't find her right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, we uh, did a few searches. I literally went in the middle of the woods with sticker bushes and all that, shaking <laughs> cat food bags, looking around the neighborhood, looking around neighbor neighborhoods. Um it's been four days now. Yeah. Haven't got a sign yet. Um, and now that cat's never been outside, right? Anytime she's, I've ever opened the door, at best, what she will do is, like, walk outside, like, roll around on the, on the driveway, something like that. Maybe she likes the, like, the temperature at the time, the sun or whatever, mm-hmm. but right. she doesn't like go away, away. Maybe she'll play a little game where she'll go under the car, but she'll, this is like a five minute process. This is not, I'm gone for a day. Yeah. I know. I know. So it was really a shock. I'm not even, I don't even think I figured out she was gone until the following day. Cause uh, we were, I was working day. If I don't come downstairs, she stays downstairs. But um, I just, you know, put got her food ready and water. And I looked around, and there was, like, no signs. Uh, I looked in the crawl spaces that she likes to go. Food hasn't been touched, so she's not magically around somewhere here. So now I'm assuming outside. Was she was she acting normal leading up to this? Like, like yeah, okay. She was her usual self, maybe a little more meowy than usual. Like, she would like want if you come downstairs, meow meow. But last couple of days, she was like doing a lot more meowing than usual, just to like come down here, give me food, right, or something like that. But like, as people point out, well, you know, six cats try to hide, hide, yeah, and whatever. There was no sign where she had no incapabilities of walking. She was eating. She was drinking water. She was going to the bathroom. There's no signs that she was in any way an unhealthy cat that uh, would lead to that right there. <laughs> so it's uh, it's kind of a bummer. Like, I'm downstairs right now doing the podcast. Uh, my dog, Leia, is down here. And... They never connected the two. Like, Leia always came downstairs. I think she assumed Stubby was another dog where she could act like a dog with her. So, like, she would charge her, and the cat didn't want anything to do with that. 
but uh, like the cat would just go through the cat door and stay in the garage to stay away from Leia. And right now I'm staring at Leia, staring at the cat door, waiting to see her sister. It's uh, yeah, a little tough. It's a little tough. I'm looking sure. at um, where my computer's at. I can see the paw prints from where she when she gets out of the kitty litter all over uh, do you do you think it was the podcast that did it no because i would have joined her <laughs> um you think she was just like all right i'm sick of this every week i can't hear these two <laughs> can't hear these two ramble on anymore yeah uh yeah i'm just hoping for the best that she went to some house and some lady who who's not like on the the Facebook page for the the neighborhood picked her up and just taking care of her right now because our temperature is going back up. Yeah, hoping she kind of comes back and all. It, it, it's a lot of uh, like a lot of grief on my side. I've, I'm taking it kind of personal. Um, sure. Uh, you know, the wife's been calming me down, but. Uh, it's just a sad thing. Um, and this was like a day before Christmas, right? Yeah. Yeah. Day before Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve Eve, it happened. And um, of course, she picked the day that it's like sub zero temperatures. You're not going to do. If she did like tonight, I'd go, okay, it's 40 tonight. If next week, it's in the 60s. Okay. She's going out doing a cat thing. She'll be back. Yeah. Have no worries because you can survive in this. Yeah. yeah. She picked that night. I'm just, it hurts. It hurts. Um, sure. Sure. Um, when I was a like young kid, like five years old, one of my first memories, I opened a cage uh, with our first dog, Sammy. And uh, he went out and, he got hit by a car, and jeez, uh, yeah. That, that, and that dog, that dog lived or, or died? No, he uh, he died, and we that was our first dog, and we only had it for a limited amount of time, and all. I would, Ugh. I just remember opening the gate, him scattering out. So, uh, you know, and uh, it chokes you up, you know. Yeah, she was a sweet cat, and. I know I could have done better with her. I mean, I loved her a lot. I feel bad at times because a lot of times when I'm down here doing my regular job, I'm in a lot of anxiety and she's sweet, but she's like in the face where you're like, get on my face. I'm trying to concentrate. I mean, I never slapped her or anything like that. I always gave her respect, but sometimes it's, you just think back of the, the bad stuff and yeah that's like with anything though right like if you have a family member that that dies right or mm-hmm. or or something you think about you know everyone tells you remember the uh remember all the good things but mm-hmm. a lot of times your mind goes to oh, i didn't man, return their phone call i didn't do this i didn't um i didn't uh, i should have uh, i should have took the dog for more walks i should have or I uh, I didn't speak to them enough. I didn't call them enough. And then you get the I didn't say like you. Yeah, that's just, that's just part of grief. I think is yeah is just uh, beating yourself up a little bit and putting 
putting blame on yourself, but you can't you can't blame yourself, right? Like a, I mean, shit, my 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 son. There's times I'm stressed. You know, I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to get. I'm just like. And he just needs attention or just wants something. And I'll be like, no, get like I'll, I'll yell or kind of be like, yeah. you know. And, and later that night, I'm kind of like, oh, man, I feel feel like a dick. You know, like uh, I shouldn't yeah. have done that. He's two, you know, or or Obi will be, my dog will be grabbing, uh, trying to get our food or somebody's food. And I freak out on him because it's like the 10th time in a row he did that. And he's done it. He's done that his whole life. He's never been great with that. But exactly, um, you know, it's 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 the law of averages. And you were, you know, whether the cat comes back or not, you were always you, you took care of that cat. In fact, you took that cat under your wing. You know, um, mm-hmm. from the previous homeowner, right? Yeah. The uh, story was basically we're like, oh, that's a cute cat. You know, if. Uh, Jokingly, oh, if uh, they don't want it, we'll keep the cats or whatever. And uh, sure enough, as we were coming to uh, sign off on the house, they're like, do you really want to do it? Because we're moving away and the place wants to charge us for a cat. And and that kind of adds to the sadness because, like, the cat was the daughter's birthday gift cat. Mm -hmm. And uh, the husband who... Ran this house. I heard a lot of stories where he's just full of anger. Uh, got in a lot of fights with the neighbors. Gotcha. Uh, try it. He, he literally got his wife from like a website. She was like in Indonesia, and that's how he got a- her. So he Amazon. He, uh, don't <laughs> think it's that site, but um, like he very much wanted somebody subordinate. To just be like, this is how things are done. So, gotcha. That was a little girl's cat. And I mean, if we didn't take the cat as much as they're like, oh, we'll take it to a shelter, like, as we talked to former neighbors, they're like, yeah, air quotes, shelter. Right. So, I know that cat wouldn't have done it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I know everybody tells me it could happen to everybody. I guess it's just one of those things when, you know me for a while when small, I don't want to call this a small thing, but when certain bad luck things keep occurring, I just naturally get into the look of it, the sky and say, yeah, Scott, what else you got up there? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess my, my only advice um, is don't beat yourself up for being like for for letting yourself grieve and feel down about it because it, it's something you anyone would feel shitty about so like it's okay to be down in the dumps about it and upset about it and then think it's your fault and uh, like you don't owe it to anybody to have to like feel better instantly so sit in the hurt for a while i mean as much as it sucks like the only way you're going to come to terms with it is Coming to terms with it, if that makes any sense, like you, it's not going to happen overnight. And just be like, "Well, I'm a, that's fine. No, nothing I'm going to say, or some person off the street, or someone on Facebook is going to say is going to change anything immediately." But mm-hmm. I think it's perfectly fine to be upset. Like, you know, like it's when people have a family member die, and and like it's going to be okay. Remember, that person's 
going to take you at you know face value and say thank you and I understand and um, but it's going to be the weeks and the months and the years, especially if it's a close family member that uh, you accept it. So, I mean, I. I would say the last closest person to me that died was my grandmother. And there's still times I'm like, man, I should have done this with her or that with her. And that's, we're going on like eight, nine years now. So mm. um, it's just kind of part of the, the human range of emotion. It, it's oh. it's okay to have emotions. Well, maybe Scott, your grandma ran away and some neighbors saw her in the cold and she's just taking care of her and she's alive somewhere for the last eight years, maybe. Just That'd like be one cat. hell of a story because we put on a pretty big funeral. You know? <laughs> Who the hell was in that coffin? <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. I mean, the repast was good. The food was good. So, I mean. Oh, funeral foods. <laughs> funeral Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, man. I, I, I still have some hope for you. Like you said, maybe someone took her in. Maybe... Uh, one of those animal groups saw her on the side of the road and, or something or or uh, the worst case worst best case scenario was was if if she was sick and something did happen that was her way of getting out of the house and something happened like yeah. if you know sometimes that's how animals they just go immediately yeah. so i don't know yeah that's the unfortunate thing the, as much as i'd like to have an answer there's probably a good 90% chance I'll never know the answer so Stubby if you're out there I hope you're not listening to this (laughs) 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 this sweet cat got really crazy all of a sudden we're getting a ton of downloads from unknown (laughs) but uh, honey I, I hope you're still out there I hope you're in a warm house right now you're getting rubbies you're getting love when it gets warmer come back yeah I promise I won't open the door the next time yeah, I, I still don't know and, if, you know, if you opened the door, I feel like you would have noticed. I feel like you would have seen it. Well, right the now. door was definitely open at times, but again, anytime I've had the door open, right. she will only take a couple steps out. It's not when she, even if she goes out, she'll take like two steps and she's from the garage door. She is not, I go out and I go, mm-hmm. kind of cat. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm very sorry that happened. And I'm I'm still hoping for some kind of return or, you know, cats are weird animals, you know. Um, hopefully they she comes back, but if not, it's uh it's it's also okay to be bummed up at it. That's what I tell yeah. everyone in time of loss. Like, you don't owe it to anyone to be like, "Oh, I'm fine." Or, "Oh, it's just a cat or just a dog or People don't get it, you know, until it's in your personal life, you know. Um, so, but right, I'm just gonna stay quiet. You do some amazing comedy for the next. Oh God! Days. Hey guys, <laughs> yeah. who's married out there? Yeah. Stubby was almost married. Oh, God. <laughs> we had the we had the groom picked out and all. It was, a, it was an arranged <laughs> marriage. <laughs> Uh, yeah, how do we segue out of that, man? Uh, just the healing, just the healing. Yeah, how do how do we, we go to the guest after this? Uh, I guess we can go. All right, I got a way to segue out of this. All right, something a, a cheery topic for both of us that 
Um, I think we'll bring back good memories, right? We get so tonight we got a basketball player, former basketball player, um, mm-hmm. who played in an era that I would like to think that we both grew up watching, right? Um, oh. You know, from the tail end of his, you know, beginning of his career, tail end, middle, whatever you want to say. What I call like the good era of basketball, because I, I really can't. I yeah, there's a playoff game on. Maybe I'll put it on, but I'm not watching every day. I don't know about you. Nah, yeah. nah. I mean, especially nowadays, like those, like two seven matchups where you just like, just just mercy kill this team. Just, just yeah, like just every every team. I feel like every team when we grew up had their guy. You know, like mm-hmm. they, you knew their guy. You went to play NBA Jam. You knew who was. You pretty much knew like the two players you were gonna be able to choose from, and then some teams would have a third guy that you're like, okay, I know who that is, right? Like, I'm you know, I'm picking the Sonics. I know I'm getting Kemp and Peyton, and then Shrimp's the third guy you could rotate in. Uh, the Bulls were weird because you couldn't play with Jordan in NBA Jam. Everyone was like, come on, man. It was like Horace Grant, Pippen, and B.J. <laughs> Armstrong or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the Spurs, you knew you had the Admiral. You know, the Jazz, you had Stockton and Malone. You know, you, every team seemed to have their player back then. Now, you get the conglomerates of superstars um something about the game for me doesn't just not it doesn't grab me there's something i don't know what it Mm -hmm. is maybe it's the maybe it's just not my thing but maybe it's like the it's a little softer than it used to be like i remember watching those knicks pacers games like you know locally here in jersey where like Charles Oakley would like kill you if you came into the paint. Like, you know, oh, there yeah. it was just like a rough, hard game, and you had Marv Albert announce it. Like, there was something about that, like Saturday, Sunday game of the week or whatever it was. Oh yeah, throw like you would watch the highlights, and it's like, oh, I don't know how the refs missed it. Like, guys just like throw an elbow in some other guy's face. It's like, ah, I'll take the foul. You know, just a foul. (laughs) (laughs) That's a throwing foul. That's not a shooting foul. Yeah. You still have your teeth. And it was like the dream team era was really exciting. And you knew, I don't know. I feel like you knew more players then than you did now, which is weird because social media, you could follow any team you want. But maybe that's also because I've kind of aged out of it and I haven't been paying attention. So I don't know. That might be my personal bias. But it was like the golden era of the NBA for me, the 90s, the the Bulls era. The You had so many good teams, and you just couldn't get past the Bulls. But mm-hmm. did you have like a like a team or a guy or someone that, that got you into basketball or you had to watch? I mean, I was a Philly guy, so early 80s, man. That team, Dr. J, uh, Moses Malone, Maurice Cheeks, so those guys—they—they're the forgotten team of the '80s because people for they were—they only won the one title in that time frame. But those, like every time that it was Sixers Celtics, it was like, right. stop what you're doing, watch the game. I'm not really the best one. No, you don't understand this. This game that's like the twelfth game of the season that won't mean anything will be. An immediate classic, yeah, for no good reason, and the only reason you will forget is the next game will be even more of a classic. 
after that. Yeah, and then locally here in Jersey, you had the Knicks, and like the Garden was was like the mecca. Of bat like it was oh. crazy back then. The John Starks teams, the Patrick Ewing's teams, like those Pacers games. The um, so there was something. I mean, and I've told the story eight hundred times on the podcast. But for me, I was a you know I'm a little younger than you, so the Bulls were the prevalent team and every kid liked the bulls. Cause Hey, who doesn't like Michael Jordan? You know, like mm -hmm. it was either you loved him. You didn't know anything else about basketball. So you just chose the bulls or you actually had a team. That was the three options. <laughs> um, it was, either, so I would get, I had bowl shorts from Kmart or wherever my mom shopped for us. And, um, and then, and then along the line, and like I said, we've told the story a hundred times, but it's still probably interesting to people. Uh, the Seattle Supersonics came and Cokehead, Sean Kemp came on the scene, was dunking all over people. And I fell in love with them years later. Okay, also a couple things here. If you look at our logo, our Verbal Shenanigans logo, you're like, oh, that's nice. It is the Supersonics logo, just changed um, to, to the Sonics. When you uh, come back to the league, please don't sue us. Seattle Supersonics. Oh, please, please sue us. That'll be the best press. <laughs> what are they going to take for us? <laughs> what are they going to get us for? Literally. What, what episodes are you taking? That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> Gary Payne's coming onto the court to our interview with Lenny Dykstra. <laughs> It'd be the best press ever, man. Um, so please sue us, Seattle. Please. <laughs> um, and years later, we start this podcast. We start getting guests. And Mike is able to tweet to Sean Kemp. Uh, Sean Kemp says he's going to do the interview. Calls me, was it the morning of or day before the interview? I talk on the phone with him for, for 20 minutes. He's like, yeah, after my daughter's game, whatever. Next morning, texting him. He's not showing up, not showing up. Long story short, he doesn't show up. We schedule him again. Doesn't show up. I think we I think we may have even scheduled him down to like three times and yeah. he never showed up. So Yeah, in fact one time I was doing some comedy thing in New York and you're like, I can't I wanna go. I can't go. I can't show I'm gonna talk to Sean Kent. I'm gonna talk to Sean Kent. Oh my I god, can't yeah. get that up. And uh Yeah, and add to like the craziness of it all, we literally opened a Twitter account and tweeted Right. To Sean Kemp. It's not like, oh, we built this following and we had all these things where you can look at it. It's like, all right, these guys are established. It's literally like 10 o'clock, <laughs> open a Twitter account. 1002, <laughs> tweet Sean Kemp. Next day, sure. <laughs> Ten o three, tweet at Dollar Tree. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> those are the good days. Those were the best days because you were able to get we got, we got so much like interaction and responses, and now all we do is get like Twitter hoes that just follow us that are just like bot pages. Yeah, yeah thanks, Elon Musk. No. I thought you were going to change things. Yeah, clean that up. Stop telling me cinnamon from uh, <laughs> from from Hershey, PA is following us, and he says, "Oh, I'll follow my OnlyFans account." That's that's all we're getting on Twitter. Chip, <laughs> chip, eggplant, eggplant, eggplant. <laughs> but so today on the podcast, uh, Mike, who do we got? Uh, Scott, we have a, a legend of Detroit. His number is retired at the University of Detroit. Uh, as we have worked so hard on getting different. Uh, kind of check marks if you will on the podcast we sure. finally checked off nba champion and not only did we do it we did it with a two 
two-time two time. NBA champion. Scott, tonight we are talking with Earl the Twirl Curitan, who was a part of the 83 Sixers and the 96 Houston Rockets going to the title. And we're going to just talk, chat with him about b-ball and life on the road. Let's get the twirl on the line. Hey, Earl. How are you? Earl. Doing well. How's it going, Earl? How are you? Real good. How you doing? Ooh, real good. I like that. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm in Detroit. It's, you know, we had warm weather up until this point. It's just a little bit of cold now. And we're all the way in the middle of November. So, yeah, <laughs> that's a great thing. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, Earl, right off the bat, I got to ask you, with that nickname, the twirl, like if somebody doesn't know you from your basketball days, do you just like throw that in a conversation when you introduce <laughs> yourself? No, no, I don't. Uh, you know, I, I had a couple of nicknames coming up, you know, uh, so, but I mean, most people that know me, uh, you know, now and been around me for the last few years, they know, they know that nicknames there. Yeah. I would put that everywhere. I would be like, <laughs> my name is Michael Twirl Burlew, and I'd be not guilty to that DUI, Your Honor. Yeah. I mean, it would be uh, Michael Twirlu. It would be the, Ooh. Uh, you know. That would be the, <laughs> all right, I'm going to get a copyright on that, Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> Earl, I mean, I mean, I have, growing up being a Sixers fan, I see in the background your Sixers everyone there. So right off the bat, uh, the, the guy <laughs> so, that's from, the love of my life, right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> the guy from Mooresville, Pennsylvania, right by Billy. Thank mm-hmm. you for getting us that title. Um, <laughs> let's kind of talk about like the beginnings of your career. I mean. Like nowadays in the draft, they only have like two rounds, and and it seems like even now, like every team is just trying to get rid of their second round picks. Now you were picked in the third round when they have it, and all. Like, what is the expectations back in that day for third round? Are you still? I'm going to make the team. This is going to happen, or is it like up? Oh, I got a tall hill to climb here. Uh, I had extremely tall hill to call climb uh, coming out. Uh, I was a junior eligible, though. I mean, I had another year of college left when I got drafted in the third round. You know, and back then it was 24 teams, I think 257 players in the league. So it's a little different now because there's more teams right. and uh, more jobs. It's 15 players when they carry 12 to 13 players in. So it was more opportunities. But uh, my situation was a situation that was almost impossible. Um the year I got drafted, they had another first-round pick coming the following year. Uh, as you know, Philadelphia was uh, loaded with veteran players. Uh, they had guys that wasn't going anywhere, you know, from your Maurice Cheeks to Lionel Hollins to Daryl Dawkins to Caldwell Jones to Henry Bibbies to – I mean, they drafted Andrew Tony and they drafted Monty Davis uh, the next year. Uh, I went back to UAD and played. Uh, but, you know, Philly had my rights and um, – you know, they wanted me to still come in. I had an option to go back into the draft or either go to Philadelphia. And I made a decision to go to Philadelphia because I felt that that was a great team. Uh, and if I was going to take a shot at it, I wanted to take it with a team that was great. Now, when you're growing up, um, are you are you uh, into basketball and, and dominant in basketball all growing growing up through high school? Or, or did you start playing after you started growing? What was your background as far as? basketball everything every, everything was a process um i was little i i, I wasn't tall i you know i grew up in detroit in the, on the east side of detroit i grew up in a basketball dominant area yep. where great players were at uh it's unbelievable the area that i grew up in because that's where george gervin spencer haywood uh those guys grew up in that, that neighborhood over there they were a little bit in front of me uh we had guys like eric money cornell norman 
Uh, Norman was also a sixer that went in. Eric Money played for the uh, for the Pistons, and all these guys grew up in my neighborhood. And, <laughs> and it was countless Division One players from you know William Harmon to Kenny Harmon, and those guys, Eastern Michigan and Minnesota, and you know. So in my neighborhood, it consisted of a lot of great basketball players. Uh, at that particular time, you didn't know who these guys were going to be or what they were going to be, but that's what they all turned out to be was great players. And uh, I had to compete against them when I was young, uh, you know. So it was a process. Uh, I had a late growth spurt. You know, I was small coming up, and I, I, I took it from ground level and just kind of built on it each and every year. What's that like all of a sudden you hit 6'9"? Do the scouts just start flocking to you? All? Like, <laughs> is it a big change? Like, oh. Well, the crazy thing is in my high school class, I mean, I averaged 20 points a game in the PSL, the public school league up here in Detroit that was loaded with a lot of talent. Uh, my class of 75 consisted of Greg Kelser, uh, Lawrence Knight, which was the first-round pick to the Utah Jazz, William Mayfield that went to the uh, Golden State Warriors, Alan Harding that played for the Lakers, Bruce Flowers. They ended up coming to the league playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, you know, I could just go on and, and, and keep naming guys that uh, from that. That was in my high school class, that one year, 75, not to mention that all other players. So coming out of high school, I was six foot four, six five, maybe. Uh, didn't have a lot of offers. Average 20 points a game in that PSL. Uh, and I ended up going to Robert Morris College, which was a, a junior college and a four-year business school. Um, I took that offer and I went down there. And, uh, you know, in one year in college, I shot up from six foot four to six foot eight. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, mm. so from Robert Morris, you went to uh, University of Detroit. I'm, I'm trying to remember what. Was Dick Vitale coaching then, or did you just miss him? No, Vitale was the coach, and he recruited me. And uh, Vitale didn't take me out of out – of, he saw me play in high school. My last game was against Bruce Flowers in the state tournament. Uh, Bruce Flowers was a big name, and Terry Durod – I didn't mention his name in that group. He played for the Boston Celtics and won a championship. Another guy that was in that 75 class. But Bruce Flowers was the, the name that, uh, you know, and him and Durod, you know, ended up playing, and uh, Durod won the state championship that year. But, you know, Vitale looked at me at 6'4", 6'5", and he had John Long, and he had all these other guys around the same height and same size. Uh, but he kept an eye on me when I left. And uh, by me being in that area, uh, you know, with the five-star camps and those guys down there, when I shot up, he got the word, you know, that I had shot up to 6'8". So Dick actually started recruiting me after my first year at uh, okay. Robert Morris College. So – which leads to my question. I was like, we've all know Dick from TV and seen that personality. Mm -hmm. Is coaching Dick Vitale the same as TV Dick Vitale? Or is there a difference in there? Oh, he was a great coach. I mean, he had the same kind of energy and the same kind of enthusiasm that he has on television, but he he knew what he was doing in terms of coaching. He spent four years at the University of Detroit, and he produced John Long, Terry Tyler, Terry Durod, and myself, and then Joe Capecchi came right behind that. So you turn out four or five pros out of a program and you go to the NCAA tournament to the Sweet 16, you lose to Michigan. He did a great job in a short period of time and the floor is named after him. So he had to know a little <laughs> bit about coaching to be able to accomplish all of that. Yeah. So what is it like though? The, the, you know, you, you enter the NBA, <clears throat> you, you, you hitch onto a team. What, what is it like for such a young kid at that point in their life, all of a sudden making this jump from, you know, college ball to now the responsibility of being a professional, trying to stay on the team, trying to get minutes on the team? What is that that life adjustment like for a young kid? 
Well, things happen uh, so fast. I was a huge Dr. J fan. You know, Robert Morris, you know, my English class, some kind of way I tied Dr. J in every paper that I did. <laughs> the teacher that I had gave me, she gave me two giant Dr. J posters that I had hanging up on my wall when I was at Robert Morris. Uh, you know, when I, you know, when I left Robert Morris, I took those posters with me and, you know, I was just into doctor, you know, watching him, uh, when I was in school, then, you know, I, I set out the first year, you know, when I went there, I couldn't get there. I had two years at, at, at UAD, but I had the red shirt. So I actually spent three years there, which really helped me a whole lot because I spent a season with Vital going through preseason and everything with him and John Long and Terry Tyler were coming out and both of those guys, he drafted and took it to the NBA with him when he left. And then me and Terry Durard came in the following year. So actually the year that I became eligible to play, I was actually eligible for the NBA draft uh, because it was two years at Robert Morris, one junior college, and, and then Robert Morris went NCAA Division One, my second year there, which caught me by surprise too. Huh. Uh, and I averaged 17 and almost 11 rebounds that year on a Division One school playing against Rhode Island. I played against Bird and all those guys that year at Robert Morris before I came in. So the red shirt year gave me a chance to practice and work against guys, and I watched John Long and Terry Tyler you know, making it to the NBA. So I was pretty inspired by knowing that I was competing with these guys and seeing them taking the jump to the next level. My first year playing with Terry Durard, we went to the NCAA tournaments. Uh, we didn't go far. We got beat, but we had a great season. And Vitale had left and took a job with the Detroit Pistons. So I actually didn't get a chance to play under him, but I got a chance to go through preseason training camp with him. Uh, Smokey Gaines took over. Uh, we had a great team. I actually had a better team than when he was there. We went to the tournaments, um, and back then, it was tough to make the NCAA tournament. There's only 32 teams in a tournament, and we were independent. So we weren't coming out of a, a league that you automatically got a bid, which right. means you had to beat people. So in a one-week span, we beat Oregon, we beat Marquette, uh, we beat Georgetown, um, which gave us an opportunity to have a chance to play in the NCAA tournaments. Uh, that year, I averaged about 10 or 11 points a game. I didn't think it was a great year. I didn't understand, you know, that – the other things that I was doing was what scouts was really looking at. So I got drafted uh, after my first year at the University of Detroit. So things were really clicking along fast. And I got drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, which I was working in a plant stripping floors when I found out about it. Uh, it wasn't like it is now. I wasn't at the draft. You know, right. I didn't think nothing about it. But a guy came to me on the midnight shift and told me your name's in the paper. Fill it up to 76. <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't believe you. That's not true. And I kept working. You know, I went back to my dorm at UAD after work. And the next morning I got a call from Pat Williams saying that we selected you in the third round of the NBA draft. Now, I just like almost passed out because not only would I get drafted, but I was going to play with Dr. J. And so I was, that was mind blowing for me. Uh, at that point, I started to work extra hard. You know, uh, Vitale had reached out to me when he left and he took the piston job and he told me, just handle my business, do what I need to do. He said, Hey, you know, if you had, you know, I'm a, I'll be right here. You know, he drafted John, he drafted Tyler, he drafted Durod, and he said, possibly we'll take you in the late rounds. Uh, ended up, I was in Philadelphia though. And so um, I got that opportunity as a junior eligible. They had my rights. Uh, they, they, you know, they advised me. They said, maybe you go back. They took Bernard Toon that year out of Marquette in the first round. Uh, so I went back in my senior year. I up my point average because Durod had, had left and he was the scorer. So I ended up averaging 20 and, and almost 10 rebounds that year. Uh, 
and I came out. So it was other teams. I had an option to go back into the draft or either sign with Philadelphia because they gave you that option back then. You know, that's the only thing I had in common with Larry Bird because I was a junior elder. So, <laughs> but anyway, he, we know his story. But my mine, mine's totally different, which is which is a good story too for people there. It's more normal mine is. So anyway, I. Uh, you know, I decided, you know, they gave me a little signing bonus to sign with Philadelphia, uh, not to go back in the draft. And I took that signing bonus, you know, um, you know, it was a hundred million. It was 10,000. Know? So, anyway, <laughs> I went to Philly and uh, uh, it wasn't a prayer. You know, it was like, you know, you look at the roster. OK, they drafted Andrew Tony that year. Eighth pick mm-hmm. in the draft. Uh, they took Monty Davis, uh, that was the nation's leading rebounder that year, uh, to go along with a roster. And, I, and if I think correctly, I think it was only like 11 men or 12, maybe 12 on that roster. But I was definitely 13. I was on the outside looking in. Uh, back then, uh, teams didn't care about the end of their bench because they didn't play rookies. It wasn't a whole lot of rookies that came in the league, especially if they weren't in the top five or six rookies being drafted. They didn't get a lot of playing time. Right. So my chances of making that team – was slim to none. Uh, but I didn't believe in it. I never believed in that. You know, I grew up in, in a tough town in Detroit and hard work and dedication would always get you over the hump regardless of what the situation was. So I, I took that to heart and I went to Philly and I went down there and I, I did what I had to do. Uh, I ended up uh, beating out the first round draft pick. Uh, they actually uh, released, which was unheard of in, in, in those, all those times, released a guy that was making 80, 90,000. You know, my contract back then was $55,000. Um, 55, 65, 75, non-guaranteed. I signed with Philly for three years. Wow. Um, I beat out Monty Davis that year uh, to get a spot on that roster. Uh, and that's when all the fun began because every year I had to compete and for uh, a job, you know, on the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, I made it that year, but I was faced with the same situation the next year. Um, championship year, I was faced with the same situation again. So every year I had to just keep working. I couldn't afford to get hurt. I got hurt, that was going to be the end. Um, So I was in a situation where it was about survival each and every year for three years in a row. Uh, And I was able to to make it through and was able to win that nice championship in 83. That's That's why I cherish it so much because I know that I worked and earned it. Um, No question about it, I put my time in. And, uh, you know, being a 12th man on the best team in the league, you don't get a lot of practice time. You don't get no playing time, you know, but you got to find a way to stay motivated. You got to find a way to be a part of it. And you got to do everything you can to let them notice you and be able to survive through a situation like that. Now, uh, after the Sixers, you went back home to Detroit. So you grew up in Detroit. You went to college in Detroit. When you play for the Pistons, is it more relaxed because it's your hometown or is it more stressful saying like, this is my hometown. I got to show up for this team. Well, let's bag it up and say how I got to Detroit. Uh, Chuck Daly was my assistant coach in Philadelphia my first year, first two years. And then Chuck left and people might not know he took a job in Cleveland. He did radio. I think the year we won the championship with Philadelphia, but he ended up in Cleveland uh, for one of those years. And then he ended up taking a Detroit job. Now, back then, uh, free agency had to write a first refusal. And I just kind of went through uh, what I had to do for three years. Now, I guarantee trying to survive for my life, not being able to get hurt, just the pressure and the mental stress that it took. At the end of my contract, Philadelphia still had my rights. Um, Even though I didn't have a contract, uh, I had went through three years of that. So they had the right to tell a team 
what they wanted for me to be able to sign with another team in the NBA. Uh, being a role player and being in a situation that I was, there's no way the team was going to give up draft picks of players and sign me too. So, which didn't really make me a free agent. It just made Philadelphia in a situation where they could do, they could offer me what they want. I either had to take it or leave, you know. Uh, they offered me a contract that I wasn't happy with. You know, I, I felt that I had been through too much and I wanted, you know, something better. And I found out the only way that I could get around that uh, was to leave the country for a year. So when I left Philadelphia, I actually went to Italy. Um, And, uh, you know, I signed with a team in Pesaru. Uh, I didn't know, you know, I had never been out of the country. I was young, 24, 25 years old at that particular time. I didn't really know. But I went over there and I took a contract with this team. Uh, The first month or so, it didn't work out with that team that I was with. Things kind of went. And actually, Terry Durai, my college teammate, went with me. Um, I ended up leaving that team after about a month. And I went to... Milan, where Mike D'Antoni was at. Mike D'Antoni was playing as an Italian player. Mike D'Antoni and Dino Minigin was young guys playing on this team in Milan. Uh, the team in Pesaro was a beach town. It was a lot different, but I managed to work a contract. I had a two-year deal with the Pesaro team, and then I ended up signing a one-year deal within a month's time with uh, Milan. Uh, I got there. Things were great. Uh, Mike D'Antoni took care of me like I was his son. He spoke Italian, no social media, you know, no no cell phones, none. I mean, and for me, that was like a nightmare winning a championship and then being in a situation like that. Uh, I had to make, you know, some serious adjustments. But Mike made that transition really easy for me being there because he knew, you know, everything that was going on and how to tell me. We used to watch VHSs that was three weeks old. You know, we sit there and we had one movie, the Angelica, that we'd go to and watch an American movie once in a while. And, and I was trying to learn my attack. Uh, we started the season off. Dan Peterson was an American coach, which the other team uh, down in Scavellini had uh, – had a, um, a, a Yugoslavian coach down there that, you know, so that it was a big difference coming back playing for Dan Peterson, being with Mike D'Antoni and Dino and that group. And so I fit in like a glove with these guys. Uh, we started the season, we, we rolled, we went nine and oh. And I came back to my apartment one night and I got a phone call uh, from the Detroit Pistons. It was Jack McCloskey. And he says, Earl, we worked out a deal to bring you back home. Uh, you know, Chuck Daly at that point had took over the job with the Pistons and you know I'm sure Chuck knew me from my Philadelphia days and uh so they worked that deal out um and they gave Philadelphia a draft pick uh two draft picks I don't know exactly I don't know exactly but I know they gave them something that they wanted and so I had to make a decision then to leave Italy and come back home and the season that was just getting ready to start they probably was about 10 or 12 games into the NBA season uh so I actually packed up and left Milan so that was one, two contracts. Next contract was with the Pistons. I got the deal that I wanted. Uh, so, you know, it was a fight for me to be able to get there. But the Pistons gave me a four-year deal, three years guaranteed. One year they had the option on. And, I, you know, I was ecstatic about having that deal and going home with my family and my teammates, John Long, Terry Tyler was there. And, you know, Isaiah had just signed to come in there. And uh, that's how I ended up in Detroit. So just to – you know, that that's the point when I got a chance to come home to Detroit. Yeah, I mean, and if you look at your, you know, the the next stage of your career after that, it's it's a lot of you know bouncing around the Clippers, Hornets. Uh, it looks like you went back to Milan at some point, mm-hmm. um, and then you know come back to the Rockets, the Raptors. And mm-hmm. my question to you is, as you get towards, you have this long career, you, you win two championships, and as you get towards the point where you know that 
it's time to to hang it up. How hard of a transition is that for uh, an athlete back then? And especially we we don't we know back then there wasn't as much uh, education on um, money management and making sure your opportunities are set up for post career. Um, you see all these documentaries. You didn't, on, you didn't make you didn't you didn't make a lot of money yeah. either, so it wasn't, right. much, it wasn't much to manage. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> so so what yeah. was that like for you? Like the career comes. What, did you have anything in place, or were you kind of like, okay, now I got to figure this out? No, I, you know, I had to figure it out. You know, I was truly blessed because of the longevity that I had, you know, as a role player. Um, You know, I was able, like you said, I I ended up getting 12 years out of the NBA. Uh, You know, I got hurt after the Houston Rockets serial. I probably would have went 14 or 15 years. I played three in in Europe. You know, I went to, you know, um, Argentina and I went to Italy and France. But I had a bad injury when I left the Rockets. Uh, to our ACL, PCL, nerve damage. You know, I just messed my leg up completely. That's when I knew, you know, and the doctors was telling me that, hey, you may not be able to walk, let alone play basketball again. And I freaked out and I told them they were crazy. And I said, let me handle this part. You guys handle your part, you yeah. know. <laughs> and so that's when I started trying to figure out what was going to happen. I was 37 years old at the end of that, that rocket run. And I, I said, well, I need to start figuring it out, which was, you know, it was a little late. But, you know, I started figuring out things that I needed to do. Um, by me being in the league that long, gave me an opportunity to see all kinds of different other opportunities. And I said, there's no way I'm going to go out here and become a doctor or become a lawyer or become something else. My whole life has been revolved around sports and basketball. I need to find something that I love that's going to be within the sport. Broadcasting was one thing that I, you know, I, I wanted to do. Um, I saw that and I, you know, I was ready to take a job. Fortunate for me, Isaiah had moved on to Toronto and uh, he was part owner of that team down there. Uh, he gave me an opportunity after I rehab from that injury. They told me I wasn't going to be able to walk. I came all the way back and ended up spending another year with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, and Isaiah gave me that because that's when he brought David Stoudemire, Marcus Camby, and Tracy McGrady and that group in. And I was there pretty much me and John Long went down as mentors to those guys. And I didn't have much plan left in me, but gave me an opportunity to kind of see what I could do to be productive you know, in the league. So coaching, uh, Johnny Davis was a good friend of mine from Detroit. Uh, right at the end of my career, offered me an opportunity to come to Philadelphia. I think he was the head coach in Philadelphia at that time to coach in the USBL. Uh, I didn't really want to coach. I thought broadcast would be my thing, but Johnny talked me into it, finally got me to come up and do some coaching in the minor leagues in the USBL. And I took that job. I got a little bit of coaching experience there. I started to like that part of minor league basketball because I kind of understood guys in the minor league. I could really help them to understand what it takes to be able to survive and make it. Because those guys in that area, they had to know how to survive. A lot of them just had to learn little things that could keep them involved in the league. So I started filtering and thinking about the things that I could do to stay within the game that I love. Um, I was able to get the radio job uh, in Toronto for a year down there. Uh, I took the coaching job. So after I retired, I started bouncing around with these different coaching jobs. I went from the USBL to the CBA to the ABA to the WNBA, uh, trying to get to the NBA. I ran out of alphabet before I got there. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I got coaching experience. I got broadcasting. I did some stunts with Fox. I came back here. I got some Pistons games. I did some broadcasting with um, uh, with, uh, the Charlotte Hornets, Bobcats, when they were there. WNBA, I I coached with Muggsy. uh, Had an opportunity to do that down there. He gave me a job, me and Rick Mahorn. I had Brittany Griner in Phoenix um, when she was there. So 
you know, each year I had some twists and turns in my career. I had some challenging moments in uh, every year uh, in my career. I mean, it's amazing to hear your story. I mean, everything you work so hard, the passion in your voice about playing the game. I mean, it, it's always apples and oranges trying to compare 80s and 90s to 2020s basketball. But when you kind of hear about these guys who get picked early on in the first round, it's like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to work on my jumper. I'm not going to do this. I mean, does that like, as you hear this kind of drive you nuts as a guy who just like pounded the boards and say, I, I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay around here. Well, you know, the way I look at it, uh, you can have all the talent, and you can be a high draft pick, but if you don't apply work to the talent, then you're not going to become great. If you're an average player uh, and you don't want to put the work in, you're not going to make it. Right. Uh, mm. So, you you know, you those things you need to know and understand. It, it depends on what level you want to go to. If you're a high draft pick, and obviously you became a high draft pick because of your talent. Now, are you willing to take the next step and apply hard work to that talent to become great? Will you become a Giannis? Giannis is talented. Without his hard work, he wouldn't be great. Right. Uh, he applied hard work to his game, and he became great. You know, Kobe Bryant was talented. He applied hard work. Uh, Dr. J was talented. He applied hard work. Isaiah Thomas was talented. He applied hard work. Michael Jordan was talented. He applied hard work to it. So, you know, so it, it, the script is written, you know, uh, and it depends on the player. You know, if they decide, you know, they got to make up their mind where they want to go. If they're going to be content with just being average, or do you want to push the envelope? Do you want to become great? It's one thing just to make it. And my thing was, when I got into the NBA, I always said, I'm not going to be content with just being in the NBA. When I finish, I want to make sure that I put an imprint, that people knew I was there and that I accomplished something. So, you know, you, you spend your entire life in the game and you, you've now basically seen all sides of it, from the coaching, the broadcasting, the, the management side of it. Um, you as Mike was saying, it's kind of hard to – everyone compares errors and this error was better. So, Seeing it from the perspective you have now, what is something you really like about the game today and what's something that you, you dislike about the game? Well, I, I like the fact the way players have evolved. I like the fact the way the big man is allowed to handle the basketball and the, the freedom that they have out on the court to be able to do things. And my time, they want to put big guys underneath the basket. They yep. don't want them handling the bat. Mm-hmm. They didn't want them shooting three-point shots. You know, I mean, it's to an extreme now with it that they don't kind of erase the post-up game, which I think I still think that's going to come back. But I like uh, that it's a year-round game. The guys work on their game. I like the modern technology of finding a way to get yourself stronger and more physically fit to be able to play it. Uh, you know, you see six, eight guards now, and you know, uh, you know, small forwards. You know, you see guys that's you know that's 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 you know that's, that's totally different from where, where it was when I played the game. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's opened up. It's a wide open game. There's more entertainment now, and the rule changes made it that way. Uh, you know, we watched the bad boys. Uh, you were able to, you know, you were able to hit people back then. Oh yeah, able mm-hmm. to body check people. Able to open this up now, where you got to guard a center with your forearm versus putting a hand on him, hand checking has been taken out of the game. So the game has changed to make it more entertaining. Guys don't run the lanes anymore; they run to the three point line now yeah. uh, to take shots. So, uh, but when threes go down, it makes the game uh, a little bit more entertaining. So you know, each area is going to be different, you know. Um, I, obviously, I love my era of basketball, but I'm not going to hate on what the young guys are doing right now because the game has evolved and players are different. Uh, I won't say they're skilled, and 
I hate the fact that a lot of these guys don't learn the game the way it should be learned and don't have the fundamentals and things they need to have to be able to, to play, but their bodies and, uh, you know, uh, the development of them are, is totally different. Uh, you've uh, worked as an ambassador for Detroit Pistons. Your number's retired in Detroit. If if there was anything you could tell people about the city of Detroit and why people should come into the community, you know, what would you tell people about the city? I would tell them it's a blue-collar town. Um, my praises go out to Tom Gores and, and to Aaron Tellum that came into Detroit, uh, that became a Detroiter. Uh, it's tough to become a Detroiter, and uh, Aaron Tellum's been here, you know, for a short period of time, and he's a Detroiter for sure. Uh, he's, you know, he's reached out to the community. He, he knows where the needs are at in our inner city, and I grew up in it. And uh, I mean, right now Detroit's on an uprise, and you know, in terms of not just from a basketball standpoint, but from just being impactful with all the things that we're doing out in the community right now. Uh, the job that I got is is great uh, because I'm able to go back into my old neighborhoods. I'm able to work with kids. I'm able to see different programs and things that we got to be able to help people. And, uh, you know, I can spread uh, my story and, and help the youth and uh, involved with a big project with St. Cecilia right now, which is a big gym in Detroit where a lot of great players came through and it was about to close down. And uh, I felt that was something that we needed to keep in the city. So we're working to keep that open. The Pistons join in in that effort to keep that open. Uh you know, our Toys for Tots things is coming up that, you know, Tom Gores has been involved in for a year. We give away all these different Christmas presents every year for Toys for Tots. And uh, we've been involved in that for years, which families that can't afford to get Christmas presents, uh, we do that. And, I, you know, and just so many good things, you know, just being involved with, you know, the public and helping people. And, uh, and it's in my own hometown where I went to high school, college, and played professional basketball. And I get an opportunity to go out now and to get back. It's awesome. So I got, I got I got a question from a personal uh, standpoint here. I grew up, you know, kind of liking the Bulls, like every other kid. And then Sean Kemp and Gary Payton and Detlef Shrimp came around and blew my mind apart, and I became a Sonics fan. And then the Sonics went away, and I couldn't quite follow the Thunder. Are we going to get another team in Seattle? Is it going to? Are we going to get the Sonics back ever? I keep hearing I rumors. Think, I, I think it's desperately needed. Uh, that was a great town to plan. You yeah. know, downtown mm-hmm. Freddie Brown and yeah. Dennis Johnson back in the day, and Jack Sigma, and you know, it was great basketball. I always looked forward to going into Seattle. You know, knowing it was going to rain, but I still was happy going there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, I honestly think that's if it's an NBA franchise awarded that Seattle should be at the top of the list uh it's no question about it because you know that that was a great sports town and uh sue birds kept it going you know you gotta yeah. give her a lot of credit oh yeah she's definitely spearheaded the, the, the wnba and you know she's been an icon in that city and she's keeping basketball alive so they need to bring a professional team back i, I just no see the, i see the fans for the soccer team the, the new hockey team the mm-hmm. they're crazy mm-hmm. out there the football no, team obviously a great, it's like a city. it's a uh, shame man, they don't have it yeah, james Edwards is up here right now buddha he's from seattle and you know i Every time Seattle played, he'll bite me over to watch the football game. He's got his helmet on the table and his jersey on. (laughs) He's Seattle crazy. You know, Clint Richardson that played with me in Philly is still a good friend of mine from Seattle. And, you know, he's still living there and in that area, too. Earl, uh, we're coming up on our time, so I can't thank you enough for joining us tonight. If uh, anybody wanted to find out what you're up to some of the projects you're going on uh where could they find you on social media or anywhere well you can go to earl the twirl um that's my twitter page right there that i'm on you know uh, earl the twirl uh but 
uh, I also got a book that's getting ready to come out now, oh, nice. um, which I decided to write this book. And the reason why is because of the things that I'm telling you guys now about, because I mean, people don't really have an appreciation for the average guy. You know, I think I got a story that can, you know, that people that the average person every day that really can relate to some of the things that we just talked about. Uh, you know, this book hit the shelf. And um, right now we're working on a title for it. You know, we, I don't know what it was going to be. Uh, you know, one, one title we came up was You Ain't Shit. <laughs> I mean, said, I'm already in. People, people might grab that yeah. because they may look at it yeah. because, you know, that's what they say about a guy that averaged five points and four rebounds. But I think after they... After they read the book, it may be a different perspective on what they feel about a guy like myself. Um, you know, I, I've read some articles where I, I'm like one of the eight worst players to win two championships. You know, so in my wow. book, I got, I got, uh, I made it a point to get Billy Cunningham and to get Rudy Tomjanovich to put quotes in there, saying how I played a role. I mean, you need 12 guys to win a championship, and everybody play an intricate role. I definitely earned my way. And I definitely worked hard for it. So I think this book is going to give you the roller coaster life. You know, uh, you know, maybe what's you know the twirl is a fit name for that. What what's that <laughs> like going from you know NBA player, NBA coach, uh, you know, coach, uh, broadcaster to all of a sudden sitting down and and mentally preparing yourself to write a book and go through that mm -hmm. rigorous process? What's that like? Well, I, I thought it would be it, it was kind of hard, you know, reading and reading about yourself, and then you realize all the things that you went through, and when you're going through it, you don't really realize it. But it it, it kind of hit home. Uh, it also gave me an opportunity to see how other people feel about me, which was pretty touching. Uh, some of the comments I got from some of the players that I played with, I got a lot of respect from a lot of guys that really made my whole career, you know, worthwhile hearing this stuff from these people. Uh, I got a lot of great friends from Muggsy Bowles to Julius Serving to Charles Oakley to Isaiah Thomas. To, you know, I, I, I still stay in contact with all these guys right now. All of them had a lot of love for me. So, you know, I, I really appreciate that. Love it. That's awesome. Uh, final question for you. Uh, again, uh, being a Sixers fan, I thank you for the trophy, but I was kind of young when it happened. So out of curiosity, now, anytime Philly teams go to the Super Bowl or whatever, they're greasing poles, there's garbage cans on fire. Do you remember anything of that when you guys won the title that year out of curiosity? Well, I just remember the airport scene when we pulled up after we swept the Lakers and came in town and we was at JFK and I just remember how many fans was out there to greet us when we came back in the parade riding down Broad Street and uh, the Philly fans going wild. And I mean, they haven't had a chance. And we're coming up in, in 2023 on the 40th anniversary of the Philadelphia 76ers winning the NBA title. No. Uh, <laughs> that shows you how hard it is to accomplish something like that. For us to be going into 40 years now and we still hold the town down for being the champs of Philadelphia. And the people always show they love each and every time we come into that town. You know, unfortunately, we lost Moses and a couple of our guys, you know, but uh, mm. I look forward to going back to Philly. Hopefully they bring us all back uh, for our 40th anniversary this year. That would be great if they do that. Super. Earl, thank you so much for your time. Mm, thanks, I know Earl. when your book's ready to come out and all, mm -hmm. you know, chime us. Maybe we'll bring you back on the show and uh, promote it. Okay. No, I, I would love that. That would be great. Awesome. Earl the Swirl, Mike. Earl the Swirl. Uh, I think it's Twirl. Oh, sorry. The tw <laughs> the, 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 the <laughs> The swirl was a was a different guy we had on. He wasn't wasn't quite <laughs> yeah. as good. Yeah, it's just like I, I like other girls and uh, different ethnicities. I, I like. I think. The, why do we bring you on? I think Earl the Swirl was the uh, guy that used to 
creep on us while we played at the park when we were kids. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm Earl the Swirl. Do you mean that? Tw- no, no, I'm the Swirl. But uh, can, can, can we name the episode the Twirl and the Burls? <laughs> what about Michael Twirlu? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> so we we knocked it off. We we now have. Let's go through the list. MLB Basically. champion Lenny, Lenny Dykstra. NHL champion. Uh, Dave Andrzejczyk and Dave Andrzejczyk yep. and, and, and uh, Jim Plaplinski, Jim two yep. Stanley Cup winners. Um, uh, other sports, um, NFL, NFL, uh, Trent Dilfer, Joe Jacoby. That's right. I forgot we had two of those. Yeah. Um. So hockey, baseball, uh, football. Uh. So now we had Daytona five hundred. Uh, Trevor Bain, Indy five hundred. Takuma Sato. Uh, um, world's fastest I'll backwards. <laughs> backwards mile runner. Uh, something, something Yoder. Something Yoder. Oh, um, uh, yeah. Bill Yoder. <laughs> Bill Yoder. Oh, uh, Olympic gold medalist we've had on the show. We've had a couple of those. Yeah. Um, we had the curler. We had... Uh, was it the snowboarder one too? AJ Muff? Snowboarder, yeah. yeah. I don't know. So we had a, we've had we, uh, we've completed the uh, the big four. Um, yeah. Next, we got to get a UFC belt holder. That's the next thing we got. We got to check off the. We had some UFC fighters on. Absolutely. I don't know if we're gonna get James Krause on anytime soon, but I mean, maybe we bet him a couple <laughs> bucks. <laughs> but Earl, what a what a awesome guy! Really. Um, Really cool to hear like the discipline in, in the career. How he still like has love for the game. Very honest and, and driven guys. So um, Earl the twirl. All right, Mike. What do we segue to here? God, there's only one way to segue when we end the year. It was stopping it by pressing pressing stop on the recorder. Probably the preferred answer. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. 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 Scott. We end the year. With award season, Scott, Ooh. the twenty twenty two Verdes, the Verdes, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, the esteemed award that is given out as we look back at this year's list of guests. Uh, yeah, we uh, so we've done this many many years in a row, um, where we just kind of take a, a reflection on the year and and look back at some of the guests we had on during the year. Um, this was another year packed full of guests. Uh, we had a couple less episodes than than uh, than normal, but um, not not that much. We still probably had like forty or something. I, I don't know. I didn't even look. Um, but we usually break it down in the categories. Sometimes we have the same categories. Sometimes we don't. But um, and then we always have our our interview of the year um, candidates. So past past winners, I know from my where Sam Calagione from from Dogfish Head. Um, mm-hmm. We had uh, 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 John Walsh and Callahan Walsh from um, America's Most Wanted. I don't know who else have we picked over the years. I know you picked a couple. Uh, let's. There's too many to choose from, I guess. All right. All right. Um, So so we usually break this down into categories, Mike. And the way we generally do it is I'll throw a category at you. You throw a category at me. We talk about some of the ones we've had on. uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) 
Sorry, sorry. So Mike just messaged me asking about who a certain guest was, but I'll, I'll reveal that in a little bit. Um, one year it was Jonathan Antoine. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, the opera singer, our, our good friend, who you know we might we might hear from him soon if any of the Antoines are listening. Uh, just you know, yeah. just, just, Mike. And, uh, yeah. Uh, before we go in, uh, just to remind you, everybody, we attempt to give one award per person. Now, whether we do it in the same category, maybe Scott and I will do it in different categories, but we don't just give it out in every single category. Ergo. Jonathan and Antoine fans who got upset where they thought we didn't give them an award last year. Oh, that's right. <laughs> the the Fantoines have been knocking down our doors since. Exactly. exactly. Uh, also, we we generally have a 1 and a 1A in our back pocket, so we don't have the, the same answers. Occasionally we do. Um, but let's do it, Mike. Um, I'll go first. I'll go first. All right. Um, since since it's a very we we had a little bit of a sports conversation this year, uh, this year this podcast. Um, why don't we start in the sports category? Um, right. So let me break down some of the sports names we have had. Okay, Wade Earp. That is the I don't know. I, I don't great grandson. It was yeah, someone great, related. Great, great uh, nephew, I believe. It's it, it wasn't grandson, but it's like four generations away from. Uh, the Wyatt Earp. Yes. Uh, Anastasia Pagonis, who is the blind Paralympic gold medalist. Kaz Grella, NASCAR driver. Kyle Luigs of the Savannah Bananas. Steve Williams of the Pillow Fighting Championship. Sweeney Murdy, the Yankees beat reporter. Brad Howder, the man who... Um, he well, I guess he, he's sport, right? He uh, set the lawnmower record and also is a soccer coach. Mm-hmm. Uh Legion of Honor, who is the honored uh, armored like knights who who do combat with one another, um, and today's guest also Earl Kiriton. So that is our sports category, Mike. I'm going to let you bat lead off on this. Who do you got, uh, Scott? I thought this guest was quite you know, bubbly, for lack of a better term. Uh, great conversation with her. Uh, really enjoyed having time with her. The The only regret I have is when we officially had the one-on-one matchup in the pool some, at some time when I come up to Jersey or New York and I have to beat her because, you know, she is a Paralympic gold medalist. Mm-hmm. She's our pick, my pick at least, for sports guest of the year. But sadly, she is second in the pool when it comes to me. I am giving it to Anastasia Pagonis. When's, when's the last time you swam as fast as you could? Just in general. Just, I'm not even talking a lap. I'm talking... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm talking oh full exertion swimming. Like, yeah, that'd probably be I, like <laughs> 15 years old in the backyard above ground pool. Uh-huh. Just like... Oh, I look chubby. Let me swim some laps. And then after two, I'm like, yeah, I thought I lost weight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, when do you ever go full speed swimming unless you're doing laps? I, it'd be kind of silly. I mean, I'm going to take a quick dip. <gasps> I pray to God that somehow comes to fruition um, and we're able to make that happen. So, yeah. Great guest. Uh, she's got a huge following. <clears throat> um, really interesting hearing about her, her disability and, and living with that and then still being an athlete. So, Mike, um, she would definitely be up there on the list for me. Um, I went in a different direction. Um, 
I was close to picking Kyle Leagues as uh, Savannah Bananas. Um, I thought his interview was good and just the story of the Savannah Bananas and the timing of the interview couldn't have been better with the, you know, their ESPN series and whatnot coming a couple weeks after that and whatnot. But I went with um, someone I thought was just kind of a, a big guest. I got a lot of reaction from people locally here in, in New York and New Jersey. Um, I went with Sweeney Murder, uh, Murdy. Mm-hmm. I almost said Sweeney Murder. That's his rap name. Uh, <laughs> Sweeney Murder, the Yankee. <laughs> I just said it again. Sweeney Murty. Come on, mouth, 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 move. Uh, Sweeney Murdy, the uh, Yankees beat reporter. He's been doing it for, for a couple decades now. And I just thought he gave us a really nice, long, awesome uh, interview. So I went with Sweeney Murdy. Can't go wrong with that one, not a doubt. All right, so I get to pick the next category. You are up. Uh, yeah. Um, let's do uh, acting television. Okay. Uh, I think that's a good one right there. Uh, we got a, a list through here that's pretty decent, I think. Uh, we have Deba, Debra Driggs. <laughs> oh, uh, you can't do Deba, Deba Driggs. <laughs> Deba, Deba. Um, uh, she, was, she was on MTV, Playboy, amongst other shows. Uh, Stroh Elliott, uh, he'll also be nominated, obviously, in the music category for being part of the Roots, but obviously he's part of the Late Night with Jimmy Fallon crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Alisharan, he was on Are You Afraid of the Dark? We had Chef Dennis Lidley, who was a food blogger. Uh, Lyndon Porco, uh, one of our goals in life, he played the Leprechaun, <laughs> the latest Leprechaun movie. Uh, Zane Lamprey from Chug. Uh, Rochelle Okoye, uh, she did done stunts for many of the big action films, such as X-Men. She played Storm in there. Uh, Fabian Cousteau, uh, who's been a part of Ocean Adventures with his grandpa and his father. Uh, Dr. Nicole LaBeach, uh, we had them as Sister Diamonds, but she also has a reality show on OWN, put a ring on it. And Scott Laysath, who is the sporting chef, Oh, and also does the TV show Dead Meat. Yep. That's right. We had a Cousteau and an Earp on this year. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's some royal families here. So I guess that means I am up first. Um, and I went with a guest that we tried to get on the show. I don't know. It felt like two years or so. Um, kind of the back and forth, cancellations. Um, couldn't get her on for... I don't know. It seemed like forever, and then like time would go by, and then it'd be like, "Oh yeah, I remember her." And uh, finally, we got her on, and I found her fascinating. Um, talking about the stunt work she's done in various superhero movies, uh, her life struggle, um, her her upbringing, um, and I just thought she was a really interesting person. And I thought it was a great interview, so I went with Rochelle Okoye. Not a bad pick. The name that may show up later in one of my categories no spoilers no spoilers but uh, we'll see we'll see um could have went with a few routes here i i thought jason now sharon was a very underrated good interview and he had a lot of praise for us really enjoyed the show he did uh zane lamprey was a ton of fun and jokes and whatever you got to perform with i him. did one Scott. of my highlights of the year yep um i decided to go with Fabian Castell. I thought it was uh, really interesting talking about his whole life with his family, the work he's doing now, the 
stuff he's doing oceanography talking about like breaking world records staying underwater the longest living underwater the longest time i just found it fascinating i will say as i listened back to the interview he was k- taking a couple digs at me with some of the questions i was given it's like <laughs> oh haven't heard that one before mike but uh i still enjoyed him so i'm going with fabian Cassell. hey listen we can't bat a thousand all the time what do you want no <laughs> All right. Yeah, definitely a good interview. I also love the idea of maybe interviewing him underwater one day. That that is a uh, that would be a very um, cool experience. Um, let's go to the category that always seems to bring us the most amount of guests. Um, also, I would say if you broke down our resume over the years, the people we've interviewed in music um, is pretty unbelievable. Like even. Me being a big music guy, some of the people we've gotten to talk to are amazing, and this year was really no different. So we had Nathan Gray um, of the Iron, which is now the Iron Roses. Um, we had Mackenzie Grant, a uh, she was like a, she's a female um, solo songwriter. She played us some tunes that was pretty cool. Uh, Keith Murray from We Are Scientists, Kevin Whalen from the Wrens and Ann Station, Lawrence Gowan of Sticks, Stro Elliott, whom Mike had mentioned before of the Roots, Lyrics Born, uh, great rapper, uh, Fergal Lawler from the Cranberries, the drummer of the Cranberries, Dave Windorf uh, of Monster Magnet, who I must say was our most listened to episode in a couple of years. Um, yeah. Uh, CJ Pierce of Drowning Pool, Jason Moreno, Drowning Pool, uh, and then Carl Sanders of the uh, death metal band Nile. Uh, good choices there, Scott. Um, I went with someone, I, I felt this was the most relaxed conversation we had, just laid back, mm-hmm. bunch of laughs on that one. To be honest, there's a couple on there like i won't point out which ones but as you see from the list there was three in a row of like music people that were like super laid back and i had a ton of fun talking to right but i went with stro elliott of the roots uh i felt he gave so much to the conversation he was like very thankful to be on the show just chit-chatting joking about what's jimmy fallon like what's it like the the tour schedule join the roots and what that pertains to just just had i just remember just smiling at the end of that interview i love that i love that interview it's one of my favorite episodes yeah so i i had to pick stro elliott here from best music no argument here he he's in in my upper echelon of guests that we've had on the show i i absolutely loved it um just him talking about his the people he's performed with and some of the things he's done um he would have been he he's definitely my one and one a so i went in a different direction and i went with lawrence gowan from sticks um Mm. i thought we had an awesome interview with him he was um really funny full of energy like he was showing us outside his window at in (laughs) vegas and there's fountains going on he's like you see the fountains i'm like yeah um I just thought he gave a fantastic interview. It's cool to see, to talk to uh, the head man of a band that big. Um, and he was just super down to earth. Uh, a couple other people that honorable mentions, Virgil Lawler from the, the Cranberries, just being a kid, I, I loved that band. Um, and then Dave Windorf, like giving us an interview in his kitchen. <laughs> um, pretty pretty cool stuff. But I'm going to go 
with uh, Lawrence Gowan here. All right. All right. Uh, Scott, I think the next one I'm going to pick was a category we kind of joked if we had it last year, we would have no clue what our answers would have been. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we doubled down on getting great female guests this year. Um, Like, I really think it's above and beyond this. Shay has just walked into the room with Scott. My son is in the room, guys. He's going to. He's like, Daddy, is it Verbi's time? Yes, son. You didn't miss him yet. No, no, no. Yes. So. Uh, female guests for this year, we had, uh, as Scott pointed out earlier, Mackenzie Grand, a singer-songwriter who performed a song for us on the show. Uh, Deborah Driggs, who is a um, like a life coach right now and also done stuff with MTV and Playboy. Anastasia Pagonis, uh, as we said, uh, she won my sports category. She won that. She will lose the race to me. Uh Shima Chambers, uh, she was a part of our episode for uh, Long Live Kobe, uh, an amazing story we talk about. Her son was uh, murdered, and then there was, yes, apple juice was involved. No, he said dad, dad juice, and he pointed to the beer beer that I'm having. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, A heartwarming episode where we talked about um, how the community came together and how they celebrate Kobe. after his passing, uh, Brigitte Cameron, uh, she is the lead uh, person with Patagonia Provisions, who uh, we we interviewed with um, Sam Calgione, uh, an amazing story of Patagonia. They, they just had a thing where uh, Patagonia is like giving up the, the company and they're giving out to like people to like pay off debts and it's just such an amazing story right there yeah um rochelle Coye, who we talked about earlier x-men movie stunt woman uh dr nicole la beach and crystal kali uh those are the diamond sisters that uh, they'd be they uh do inspirational talks and help women get themselves in a better place in the work environment and help them strive to go up in the work environment and get to their best place in life. Um, really good ones this year. Yeah, um, yeah. Last we, year, <laughs> we, we looked at each other like, "Oh my god." We were we were a little dude heavy on the on the <laughs> yeah. last year. Yeah, um, I think we had four options, and all of them were like, "I don't, I'm not sure I got one to pick." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, for this one, Mike, I. Um, I personally, I guess you could call it a split interview, but I really liked her her mission and what she was um, what she was talking about, and you know having her alongside Sam Calgioni was a really cool experience. So you're talking a company of dogfish and then Patagonia, um, you know Patagonia Provisions, which is part of Patagonia. Um, so I went with. Um, Sorry, my son was just being taken away from me. I went with Birgit Cameron. Um, I thought she was really into the interview. She was super interesting. So um, I, that was my pick for female interview of the year. Mm. That's a good one right there. Possibly she may get another one. Who knows? We'll see. Um, my pick uh, was the interview that took me the most amount of tries to get on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe at one, I think we came close to a full calendar year to try to 
messages up. It was either something she was getting new work or we couldn't make the date or whatever. I'm going with Rochelle Okoye. Um, an amazing story. I mean, she literally basically blew up her heel doing a stunt, her ankle, had to relearn to walk, and she's still like one of the best stunt women out there and one of the busiest ones. Um, great interview. Highly recommend to go out and get it. Rochelle Okoye. I agree. I agree. Um, you know, obviously I picked her in a different category so she can fit anywhere for me. Um <laughs> So yeah, ladies, we did it good this year. We did we we <laughs> not all dudes, not all dudes. Um, that brings us to uh, miscellaneous, um, which you can kind of you can put your spin anywhere you want on this if you want to count them as miscellaneous. But some of the people that don't quite fit into these other categories, we had Travis Ross back on, who was the creator of the Hydro Flask water bottles and went on to be a multi millionaire. Um, the people from Long Live Kobe. Um, which that's the story you're going to kind of have to go back and listen. Um, my Sam, who is an all time uh, top four guest that I ever wanted to have on the show. Now we had him on twice this year. So uh, in the last two years. So that was amazing. Uh, Burgett, also from Patagonia Provisions, who I just mentioned. Uh, Browd Howder, the, the lawnmower world record. Crystal Khalil from Sister Diamonds. Daniel Klitzner, the Boppet inventor. And then just uh, just last week uh, or two weeks ago, uh, Zeb Ross from the Jay Creek Cloggers. Got a lot of comments on, on uh, when people saw that we had him on. So, um, Berlum, you're up. Uh, Scott, uh, this person I'm going to pick could have could have got the Lucy Sproggin Award. I'm going with somebody else on that one. Okay. Just one of those throwing ones where I told you who we're getting and you just start busting out laughing because because it's one of those, I, this is crazy we're going to get. And I had a blast talking to this person. You figure you're only going to concentrate on one story and you're going to get your fill. But I went with Brad Howder, who was who got the world record for being the first person to go across the country on a lawnmower. Uh, just real fun interview. Real great to talk with him. Just a crazy story of how. He had to go to the hospital because somebody's like, I wonder how fast we can get this lawnmower to go as he was going down the Colorado Rockies on a lawnmower, realizing that they don't have enough brakes to slow down this machine. Yeah, all. It yeah. was he was great. enjoyable to do that one. And I, I could listen to the story again. I could totally see bringing him on once again afterwards. And I'll maybe around World Cup time since he's high into soccer. But uh, Brad Howder. It's my pick. All right. So in four years, Brad, we'll be reaching out to you. Yeah, um, <laughs> not before. Don't you dare try to contact us. Um, I went with this was a tough one for me because I, I couldn't make a case. I could make a case for a lot of these people. But uh, this interview was one from two weeks ago, and I loved it, man. Um, I thought he was just such a genuine uh, a southern guy, just polite, um, <laughs> yeah, just so happy and, and appreciative and so genuine. Like the guy, the dancing and the Instagram stuff just comes from what he loves to do, which is go and clog with his family on the weekends. And, uh, and he still works and he's like a mechanic or, or, or something like that. And he was just 
so nice. Like, it was hard not to love this guy as you're talking to him. Uh, you've seen him on Instagram dancing in his blue shirt and his his uh, kind of cowboy shoes. I went with Zeb Ross from the Jay Creek Cloggers. Yeah, dude. Again, an interview, I was just smiling the whole time. He was appreciating. Like, just him laughing at the fact I asked him, do you, like, stretch beforehand? And he's just laughing. It's like... Maybe I should. Yeah. I think about. I mean, he was just that like Southern boy that you just fell in love. With. Like he was just so nice, man. You're like, man, <laughs> Southern hospitality, right? He, I felt like I was sitting in his home with him. He was so nice. I mean, mainly because he was doing it. <laughs> I think it was either. His Let's not get technical. Let's not get technical. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> the one award that we name after a guest is going to be next, Scott. It's the Lucy. Sprogan Award. Yep. Uh, Lucy Sprogan was a musician who came mm-hmm. on the show. Uh, the basic basis of this award is obviously we get a lot of publicists and whatever say, hey, will you interview this person? And we may not know a lot going into it. I mean, obviously we have our Lenny Dykstra's and uh, John Walsh's and Mark Summers, but we occasionally get this guest that comes on. They were kind of like, okay, whatever, we'll do it. And it's just such an amazing, fun time with them. It's just a pleasant surprise how great it is. And that's why we do these a lot of these interviews. And maybe we don't know them going in, but after we know them, we want to know more about them. So we call it the Lucy Sproggan Award. Yes. And if you go back to our Lucy Sproggan interview, we didn't really know... <clears throat> who she was um we knew she was on a britain's got talent or, or whatnot and uh we went into stories about her working at a cave and this and that and we were laughing the whole time like fantastic interview so uh all right mike so i look at this list and there's a there's a couple of them but one that kind of stood out to me was one that i kind of laughed about and i said uh yeah this works for verbal shenanigans this is kind of right up our alley um and this happened also just a couple weeks ago um and this was the creator of the game bop it um this guy was i i didn't really know what to expect um i thought his his story was so interesting as far as like him being a toy designer and the hundreds of toys he's had patented and and making them way bop it still still has a following and he's still reinventing bop it and getting it to people all over the world and schools and there's competitions and we even like usually our interviews are about 30 to 40 minutes long we extended the interview to go for like an hour um and i thought uh, my lucy Sprague award i'd love to have the guy back to talk about his other stuff um and that was daniel klitzner yeah that was so i've been watching him on instagram and it's fun how he talks about the one button bop it and how like advanced it is. Like I was watching it on Instagram. There's apparently if you do a certain setting, it starts making fart sounds. Oh, nice. You have to figure out the setting to switch it back or it keeps on farting on you. <laughs> and it which is it's like it's so juvenile, but yes, it's brilliant. Absolutely so, it's brilliant. Yeah. So I I got two here, and it's even as I'm talking out loud, Scout. I'm not sure which one I want to pick between these two. Uh, one has already received an award tonight, 
and that's who I was leaning towards. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking I'm going with the second option here. Um, my my initial thought was Zeb Ross, as Scott said, just um, like going to it. Okay, you're a clogger and you got a little fame, but it was just such a down home conversation. I feel if he didn't get an award yet, I was going to pick him, but I'm going to change it up and I'm going with Lyrics Born. All right. Um, Good one. Yeah. He was such a fascinating conversation talking about his history is the culture going into rap like i remember having just a conversation on his instagram about we making like sloppy joe vegan food for and he's just like ah that just the way he explained that's just my life and all i don't go into it thinking about it I just he just seems so relaxed and enjoyed life and chatting and i felt i couldn't let these awards go without him getting some recognition right here. Zebros, absolutely, they're literally neck and neck. But I'm giving the Lucy Sprague into Lyrics Born. Wow. Love it. He's going to put that right on his mantle. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Next to his vegan sloppy Joes. <laughs> All right. All right. What do we got next? Uh, Scott, um, it's the award that sounds terrible, but doesn't necessarily mean it's terrible. The most likely not coming back award. Now, this is not informing people that the interview was atrocious or we had a fight with somebody on that. It's just our thought process of somebody who's been on the show where we kind of sit back and go, I don't know how we make a second interview out of this for right, whatever right. reason. Maybe it's the 800 hurdles to get to them or whatever the result, but who Scott in your mind is most likely not coming back to verbal shenanigans. Um, I think I know who you're going to pick. <clears throat> so I agree with that. So I'm going to go with a kind of a different direction, I guess. Um, I, this is the reason I chose this person is, um, I'm not sure how long their product's going to be around. Um, uh, mm. It's kind of a niche thing. Maybe got some fun fun likes on the gram, you know. Um, but do I see it being something that is sustainable and going to capture the, 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 the minds of people forever? I don't know. I hope I'm wrong because he was a nice guy. But... I uh, I don't I just don't know if it's going to be something we're going to be talking about years from now, and so I went with Steve Williams of the Pillow Fighting Championship. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I you you touched on like how do we make an interview out of this again? Like what are we gonna like are we gonna talk about? But yeah, then I could be completely wrong. It could backfire on me. Um, yeah. it, it, it could, could become huge, and we're like, "Oh man, Conor McGregor's doing a <laughs> he's doing a pillow fight for a bazillion dollars." I'm in. Like, I'm gonna buy it. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. Um, so I could be wrong with that, but I, that that was the way I went with on this pick. Mm. Yeah, did you see the UFC now has uh, they have a reality show for slap fighting? Yep. Now, yeah, yep. the big so, slap or something. I forget what it's called. Uh, yeah, something on TBS. I mean, there's there's still some leeway there. I'm hoping it's lasting long enough where I can remind them that we're supposed to get the verbal shenanigans pillow and we're supposed to have our emblem mm-hmm. at one of their events. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I understand where you're going. It was a good interview, I thought. Yeah, it wasn't bad at all. It was just kind of like, 
I don't know. I didn't really, as, as I'm looking at the list, I didn't like dislike any of the interviews really. Like there was none that I'm sitting here going, oh my God, this is, uh, that was the worst of the year or, or anything like mm-hmm. that. So there's nothing I could, and I'm not just saying that, like I don't yeah. pretend these are great. It doesn't really matter. Um, I'm really looking at them kind of being like, none of these were really bad. So mm-hmm. uh, that's how yeah. I went. Uh, for my pick, Scott, I actually had two options. Uh, one I was thinking about was Jason Marino of Drowning Pool. Not that it was a bad interview, but I guess he was very either angst-ridden or shy yeah. about it, where uh, we were talking a lot with CJ, and Jason was just kind of like, yeah, or just like right. as quickly as he could get the answer out. He got it out. Still, very enjoyable interview. Love Drowning Pool. But it didn't go his route. Where, speaking of barely being able to get a word out, uh, our guest at one time, um, she is a kind of a life coach. Uh, she posed in Playboy. She uh, she actually was on with, um, oh, who was that? Uh, Bob Hope. She was on the Bob Hope special uh she was on mtv she seems like a very nice person deborah driggs uh the reason i may not be (laughs) raising my hand to vote for her to come back was uh she's a very long answer person uh i'm not sure if i got more than two questions out in that 30 minute period yeah (laughs) Uh, in fact it was almost a running joke as scott Type to me in the personal chat. All right, jump in here, Mike. Jump in here, Mike. And he could literally see me opening my mouth to about to ask a question. And then she just started again. Yeah. <laughs> Even though she had like a 10 second pause, it's like, perfect. Let me get in here. Uh, and she would th- go off on a tangent. I would think maybe you would want her back because you have a whole interview you didn't get to do with her. <laughs> um, I, I kind of deal that already at home, <laughs> I guess would be my best answer. So, um, yeah, that's why I'm saying Deborah Driggs, lovely person, you know, go to her site, uh, Deborah's Den, and see what kind of services she offers, but maybe not verbal shenanigans. I hear you. I hear you. And it took her like 30 minutes to get set up to do the interview, if you remember. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so before we get to guest of the year, Mike, rapid fire here. Who would you want to have a beer with? Oh, St. Lamprey. That's, that's the king of who to have a beer with. I, I disagree. Sam Calagione, I want to have a beer with. Mm. Um, we kind of did. Virtually, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, who would you want to go on a long road trip with? Long road. Don't trip overthink with. it. Just get yeah, Kaz Grala because he'll do all the driving. <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll get there real quick. Um, I'll, I will go with. Um, I'll go with Fabian Castell just to see if like guys who can drive drive submarines can can drive cars. You know, <laughs> uh, who would you um, like to spend Christmas dinner with? Scott Lee Seth. I feel we're gonna get something really interesting on that plate. You know, so like Maybe the turkeys, like the turkeys coming around, and then he brings like. Mongolian street skunk out, and you're like, okay, all right, all right, well, we'll give that a try. Here, 
Well, I mean, the good thing is, even if something comes out, I'm like, oh, I don't like it. He'll just like pick up a, a knife, throw it outdoors, and be like, all right, give me 20 minutes. <laughs> True. Last one. You're, you and your you and your wife are having a wedding again in the backyard, right? You're mm-hmm. you're, you're doing a new wedding, and you got to have a wedding band. Uh, what musician are you coming? <laughs> are you, uh, who's playing the music for the wedding? Lawrence Gowan. <laughs> Sticks at my wedding. <laughs> that's badass. Yeah, that's, I'm sorry. That's pretty cool. <laughs> you don't want you don't want drowning pool at the wedding <laughs> <laughs> or Nile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking. I was thinking Fergal Lawler. Maybe he'll play some like Cranberries tunes. You know, that'd be a good pick. Yeah. yeah. All right, it's come down to the moment. the 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 big The biggest award in these people's lives. Um, you know, we've some of these people we've had on have had Grammys, Oscars, uh, NBA championships, but a Verbi <sighs> blows it all out of the water. So, mm. Mike, interview of the year. Ow! Uh, I as I look at what I put down, I realize that would be a repeat, and I don't want to do a repeat. Mm. Rochelle Coye could earn guest of the year. Fabulous interview, but I won't do that. Okay. You know, uh, I am going to go with the most inspirational story. Uh, I'm going with Long Live Kobe. I feel that whole family, they went through a lot. It's just, it's a touching story. It's not like our usual funny banter kind of things, but I feel we even got like a mix with them. They were so appreciative talking with us about the episode all three the two family members and spencer strander who was like a writer who met up with them was like a total stranger and was able to get in with their community and write a book about uh what kobe meant to that family and the community and what has come from that it's such a beautiful thing i got the book upstairs yep uh i'm gonna give it to the the cast if you will of long live kobe interview well this might be the first time ever because i could go chalk and be like oh sam you know i had sam on again guy idolized but the actually when i was going through the categories i knew this was my this was my interview of the year so um we're going to have to go the same on this category. Um, Not a bad idea. No. Um, I thought it was something completely outside what we do. Um, the only thing I can think of before that was when we had like Clark Fredericks on. That was kind of a different story. Um, and we had we also had, um, I'm forgetting her name at the time, but her sister was murdered. Um, yep. uh, more serious interview. But we had Sherma Chambers, Kareem, um, Uzbeon, and Spencer. And... I was just blown away by the interview. I couldn't be happier enough. And the, the guy, um, Ray from Raby, who gets us a bunch of guests, was like, would you be willing to You want to do this interview? It's this book project I'm working on, and we're helping them. And they invited me out to the book signing or the book release. I couldn't make it. But um, it was such a touching story and one of the best things we've done on this podcast. And it was just really inspirational. Um, it was a really great uh, and the book is really 
it just puts all what they're talking about into pictures and you can see exactly what their their life's purpose now is so i am also going with the 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 crew from the long live king kobe um so uh no argument here i guess we, we we're both going with the, with the same one um a lot of them could have been considered guests of the year so really, there's no, there's no losing here. But another year of verbal shenanigans is in the books. Um, I guess before I say anything to promote to Mike, like I always do, I just want to thank anyone who's listened, commented, shared, joined the cast, uh, followed, or shown any interest in this little podcast. Um, we're gonna con- we got some really good stuff coming ahead. We have. Um, we got three episodes basically in the bank, ready ready to go. So we will hopefully be here every week for you. If not, I'm sorry. What do you want from us? But um, it, it's always a pleasure. Another year in the books. I'm down for the next year. We're going to get closer to this decade of uh, doing podcasting, which is pretty unbelievable to think of uh, that fact alone. So, uh, Mike... It was a good year. I know your your year here didn't end very well, but you know, um, yep. as far as the cast, we still got it. We still got it. Yeah, the the cast has been the distraction I needed at times. Uh, whether it's work anxiety, obviously everything happened this past weekend and all. It's it's still like my wife tells me. You know, there are times like I'm upstairs. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And I go back upstairs, and I got a big old grin on my face because. Because of the guests, the people we chat with, uh, just our banter. It's really uh, been a big part of my life, and I'm appreciating we're going into 2023, and we're doing it again, children. So Yeah, we are we are in, locked and loaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, for promotes, um, when everything happened, I would just say uh, go to ASPCA.com and give a couple of dollars. If you got a couple of spare dollars, do an order of stubby. Hopefully, fingers crossed, she's somewhere in a warm bed, being loved somewhere. I hope you come back to me, honey. But, uh, yeah, ASPCA.com, that's a good way to end the new year. No, sure. Helping out some pets that uh, maybe need a home or people who help out to make sure dogs are not mistreated and everything. Um, I will promote. I just got just just reminded me today. I did a little fundraiser in November, just doing 100 push-ups a day uh, for St. Jude's. Uh, they sent me a T-shirt, so it reminded me uh, St. Jude's, one of the best charities out there. All money goes to cancer research in children. And then on a verbal shenanigans promotion side, we just booked another show at Tap House 15 with Bonnie McFarlane. Um, if you heard her um, on My Wife Hates Me with Rich Voss, uh, just a hilarious comic. Um, that'll be April 6th. So, and then we still got tickets for Jessica Kearson. Um, still left and then Aaron Berg I'm sorry is sold out so um, there are no tickets available for that so it's been really fun the Florentine show was was great the other night so um, so that's it guys other than that life is funny Uh, laugh at it keep the wind at your back have a wonderful new year and we'll see you shortly you saved Dubba